Welcome to another episode of the Medium the Message podcast. Today, we have a special interview with Ayomi Debayoa, Mississauga's recently appointed poet laureate. He provides encouragement for young creatives who may experience hardships and discusses themes surrounding Black History Month. Tune in until the end to hear Ayomi read his poem ad-lib and see what else he's working on. Yeah, so I guess my first question that I was going to ask you was if it has sunken in yet that you are the Poet Laureate. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, it's just going to take a little bit while, but I'm still trying to get used to it. Yeah. Your family moved to Canada in 2018? Yeah, we did. Wow, yeah. How do you, how do you, like, has Canada met your expectations or, like, how do you like it so far? I mean, when I came here, I wasn't disappointed about, um, you know, I had this big image of Canada, but I mean, some part of the images like were met, but I mean, some of them were actually twatted by the way. But yeah, so far, I actually um, got some of the expectations met, like um, having to prove myself as a poet. Uh, that definitely is actually ongoing. And um I went to prove myself as a filmmaker too. Feel I'm actually doing well too about that. So, so far. My family also came like from Vietnam to Canada. And I remember when I was talking to my mom, she was just talking about the expectations of Canada versus what it was actually like for her when she came here. And like in Vietnam, it's really hot. And like, it was, it was like a long time ago. It was like in the seventies or something like after the war. And she was saying how like everyone thought Canada would be like heaven. And then she came here and it was like so cold and like she was like so lonely and it was like a lot more difficult for her. So that's why I was like, I wonder what it's like, you know, for anyone immigrating. It's it's like just just like that, especially the loneliness. So especially when you come here in this country at the age of like um, 18 and above. You feel the loneliness because you have this, um, you know, this attachment, self of belonging, a sense of belonging to your, you know, your root, especially your country where you come from. And uh, definitely you come here, you feel lonely for a while until you get used to meeting new people, getting used to re-socializing and all and trying to find a connection between the people you meet and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you miss the most about Nigeria right now? My friends, I miss my friends. They're always supportive. So right now that I don't do film regularly, I miss them a lot, especially when I want to shoot movies and I don't really have people to help me over here. I just remember yeah. this people and I'm like, oh, I didn't mean it was Nigeria. I would have done this a long time ago. Yeah, but are you guys still able to stay in contact? Like Zoom Definitely. and yeah, Definitely. that's good. Um, I I also saw that your father, your family was like into filmmaking, into like creative stuff. And so like, how can you tell us a little bit more about how your family has like inspired you to get into poetry and film? Uh, well, poetry is not a part of my family story. It's, it's, it's a thing I started in the family. So it's, if it actually ends up being a thing in the family, it's going to be me. I started it. So, um, but filmmaking, that was my dad's thing. Um, when I was very young, I loved the fact that I was a filmmaker. I loved the fact that I was an actor. It does, um, it brings camera home. And I end up, you know, playing with this camera. But although it was very expensive then, but, you know, it tries yeah. to really play with them and, you know, try to use this laptop to 
see what editing looks like. I was doing nonsense definitely then. But, you know, in the meantime, having to be around this kind of, um, you know, um, gadgets, um, appliances or equipment to use to, you know, shoot films, being there alone with these things as, as a child, right? You need to, you need, you need to understand that possibly, if not anything, you end up being, um, you know, good at these things, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after all, I end up, you know, making good use of this equipment he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, how about your mom? What, what does she do? She, she was a trader. Mm-hmm. She sells, um, she, she sold clothes, but now she's uh, into something else. Okay, so moving on to questions a little bit more about your creative process and like your poetry. Um, just off the bat, do you prefer writing on a laptop or with ink and paper? I mean, paper, was, it started with paper, right? And I used paper as a copywork. So like, I use paper for the copywork process. And, uh, you know, as a writer, I likes um, decoding techniques, um, voices, um, you know, things that are encoded in poems. I used um, copywork a lot and using coffee to, you know, relax. And, um, but that paper process is just like the copywork. But the laptop actually got into the picture when I came to Canada. So back in Nigeria, I used my phone um, using the word document on my phone. But now using a laptop is like the easiest and fastest way, especially having to submit for submissions, um, having to submit for contests. I just need to type on my laptop and, you know, save the word doc and send right away. But I don't need to write in the paper and then have to type it back again, try to check for grammar errors and, you know, having to send it again. It's a lot. It's like I don't have the, I don't have the time given that I'm into something else again. I'm I'm into academic, um, you know, I don't just have the time, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. Let me warn you about something though, when you're writing on the laptop, is like make sure you save your work because I think a lot of students will talk about the trauma of like writing everything and then you realize that like you just forgot to save it or your laptop shut down and it's just a nightmare. Like I think that's the one thing with Need to learn the other, right? Because I've learned about that a long time ago, especially yeah. when I, it's not even about the laptop alone. It's about the phone too, because there was a time I wrote half a manuscript on my phone and I saved everything actually, but I was using a phone that I used um, SD card. So this SD card spoiled and I lost the old manuscript. Oh my God. It was like, 40, 40 something pages. I mean, if if you're a writer and haven't um, gone through that kind of um, situation, I don't think you're really, really a writer because you must have lost almost the good works you have written in your life. That's yeah. that is a nightmare. <laughs> like, what did you even do? I feel like if I was in that position, I would have just been like, "Done, screw my career, it's over." <laughs> just I, mean, I, I actually gave up. Real. I just, you know, let it be. I was, I had to deal with the fact that I just lost something. I used all my time, my researches, my my effort, sleepless nights to write, and you know, it just left that way. And I, I had to deal with it first. When I dealt with it, I, I had to seek motivation because something, I something about me, I love motivations. If I don't get motivated, I, I don't think I'll be able to do something easily. So I, I had to read my po- um, my friends, their poetry. I had to read their poetry. And I see them winning and I just like, you know what, let me get back to this thing. We can do this. 
Yeah, that's that's beautiful how like others really inspire you like in in the journey. Yeah. I think a big part, I mean, I'm sure that everyone experiences it, you know, no matter what field they're in, whether they're a writer, filmmaker, or a pianist or whatever job, but doubt, like, you know, just kind of thinking, oh, like, can I really do this? Or, you know, do I really have what it takes? And um, a lot of our listeners, I think, are also in like writing. And so do you have any advice for anyone who might experience doubt? Oh, that. Um, I said something a long time ago in an interview with um, uh, someone from UTM, but I wrote it down. I just had to read it out. But I think um, something I would just advise you to do to be curious, keep being curious, learn to persevere as a writer. And um, it's not easy, but you need to, you know, be able to um, persevere. Once you persevere, deal with the rejections, deal with the frustrations that come with you feeling like you're writing nonsense because writing doesn't come easily, right? When I write poetry, even though as a poet laureate right now, I write poetry sometimes, I feel like I'm not writing something sensible. I feel like I'm writing, right? The first draft feels like, okay, what the hell is this? If I'm to compare myself to a noble laureate or someone established or an extended way, I'll be like, damn, this is trash. But you know, having to go back to the same piece again for like a month, two months, three months, having to write just one piece for three months, going back, correcting some sentences and punctuations, having to read other people's work and compare yours with theirs, and having to tell yourself that, okay, this could get better. That is perseverance. That is practice. You have to discipline yourself to that point. And then you actually see the result of you being artistly, artistly being able to convey a three events with language and that to channel the eyes and mind, being able to maintain the wave of narrative, that's the energy, and being able to actually captivate string events of characters and their dreams and you know the achievements, the tension, you have to have being able to create musicality, the sequence, reading the patterns and everything, all these things come with perseverance and practice discipline. Yeah, that, that's so good. Like, I think a lot of people just imagine that writing is like, an experience where you know you you just like write it all down in one go and suddenly it's like good but it takes a lot of like like you said perseverance and like craft and going back to it and editing um so like how long does it usually take for you to um write write out one of your poems to be published um sometimes it doesn't take long sometimes it takes forever so i can remember recently um, the poem i wrote for the poetry corner I just wrote it within a night and I was surprised how that could pass. But I wrote that within a night. Um, there are a lot of poetry like that, especially the poem I, that I won um, the BPPC, um, the June, July context last year. I wrote it within just like five to 10 minutes of me submitting because I felt like I don't want to miss this chance of submitting for the contest and it was close to the deadline. And there was a time difference because the deadline there was like, um, the midnight in Nigeria time, but mine here was like, you know, I still had some time to submit, but I just had to rush it. Within five to 10 minutes, I wrote it. I give it, I gave it another like one hour to edit, another one hour to like proofread and then submit it. So, mm -hmm. you know, depends on how um, established you are in this game too, because you can't expect a novice to write within five to 10 minutes and, you know, you submit that way. It, you definitely need to expect a rejection, right? But 
I, I had some things down because I used to write, um, I actually write in a piece of paper first. I have like a book, a small book I carry around. I write some ideas and, you know, some things I feel like could be relevant for me in the future. And then when I actually want to like write, I just go back to these things and, you know, use them from like format them, you know, edit them, write, and then make good use of that. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how like a lot of young writers, it's so much pressure because they feel like, you know, if they submit something and it gets rejected, then they feel like it's, uh, it's like on them. Like it's, it's like, they're not good enough kind of thing. Um, And I think like the, term like poet or writer sometimes it gets intertwined with our identity so when we're not like succeeding yet um we just feel like oh I'm not you know good enough um have you ever experienced this and like do you have any advice for someone who might think that way yeah definitely I I go through these right now I mean not just like then but right now but I think what I can tell you about this process is you need to understand and you need to understand the game. It's like a game to me, right? I started with writing for contest. So I understood, I, I understood this thing as a game first. Then I realized it's beyond the game. It's like a life, like you can use poetry to change someone's life. You can use poetry to, um, as a good force for good things and you can use it to protest, you know, it's beyond the game. But let's just start with the idea of the game. You understand this game as a dirty game. You need to understand that there are people that don't like your poem. People won't like your poem till you die, definitely. Some people would definitely like your piece because of how simple you are, or how difficult you are, right? So you need to understand this first and then understand how to discipline yourself. If you can discipline yourself as a writer, then you get to know that, okay, in this market, I'll be able to write something that, that could fetch me money, not just publication. So, you know, it's like a market to, for, for some people. So I have a friend that he actually gets all the money he spends in his life in poetry now. He doesn't do any other job, just to write poem and wow. get published and get that's paid nice. and that's all. And that's the thing, right? So for some people, especially back home where people don't have enough money, they have a bad um, economic situation, they just need to write, you know, like, and get money in dollars and, you know, come back to Baton era and, you know, make a living from that. So you need to discipline yourself, right? Understand what the publishers need. Understand what they don't like. Understand what they like. Don't just write and submit to publishers because you might get rejected and feel like it's about you. No, it's not about you. It's about the game. It's about the business. What they need is what they need. If they don't need your poetry, they won't publish you. But if they need someone like you, and understand it's a game, like I said, if they, if they don't need a black writer, they won't publish you, right? But if they want to like, you know, politicize this thing, they could get a black writer and publish you understand what it need and then submit. Like, have you always written about like social justice and like, you know, what it's like to be black and like, et cetera, or have you explored with different topics before? Yeah, before I, I never wrote about being black before. Before I wrote about being um, Nigerian, I wrote about being helpless in a situation whereby the government doesn't give a, um, doesn't even care about the people. But when I got here, I had to, I, I had to like change my perspective because uh, people don't care about you being Nigerian. Yeah, they care about you being black. Given the white gaze and every other thing, definitely you need to change your perspective. You need to change how you write. And um, yeah, 
I just had to change that and write about intersectionality, write about um, you know, racism and other things and make them actually beautiful because I don't write about suffering alone. I can write about racism and make it look beautiful. But it's about you questioning yourself and ask you if you're actually part of the people um, promoting racism, you know, if you want to fight for that, if you want to go against it, you want to go for it. You just question yourself, you know, and that's what I do with my poetry. You're the fourth poet laureate now, right? Um, for Mississauga. Are you in contact with any of the former laureates and have they influenced you in any way? Yeah, I'm in contact with um, Edward um paul costa yeah and i'm in contact with um the very first one but not so much in contact with her she just um congratulated me and told me if i need anything i uh, should reach out to her and um that's all but paul as in, uh, he has been a very nice person too he shares me um opportunities i actually can't even find with within a few type on my laptop i don't think i could even find these opportunities but shares them with me and I'm in contact with the present um, youth poet laureate too because definitely I'm a mentor to her, so I need to be constant in contact with her. And I don't think I'm in contact with anyone else aside from Paul and the present um, youth poet laureate. What does Black History Month mean to you? It is a month whereby I celebrate being back. I celebrate being free. I celebrate being, being um, relevant in society. And that doesn't mean um, I celebrate what used to be called um, slavery, right? I celebrate the emancipation. I celebrate what we are today, you know, as a group, social group, because we are no longer slaves. We are actually considered um, important and relevant in the political, um, um, let's say, institution of the, uh, of the country or the old, um, I, I just celebrate being Black, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying how it's not really just like Black History Month. Like, it's not just this month because like Black history is history, you know. Um, yeah. So what do you also think about that? I mean, of course, it's just history, right? It's about people telling you what used to be, what happened then. But now those things actually, um, you know, they, they modified what we have today, right? Because they're relevant. We, we have history of people um, of, um, 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 no, this shouldn't be Malcolm X. We have people, um, history of um, Luther King, history of um, any other activists, right? And they are so relevant. I mean, we should actually teach people more about these people every month, not just the Black History Month, right? We need to educate our children about these things too. We need to tell them our being Black is not just a month thing. Mm -hmm. It's about everyone, every other month. Because if you celebrate us this month and the next month you kill us, how is that relevant? That's not necessary, right? So it's not just you telling me, okay, I respect you being Black this month, but next month, uh, I don't care about that. No, it's about every other month. So mm -hmm. this Black History Month spreads overlaps with every other month. Yeah. And I know a lot of reform has to be done in schools too with like education and like what the history that they're teaching us in schools. Um, do you feel like we're on a good path? Like, are you optimistic about the future and like where we're heading towards? Or do you feel like a lot still needs to be done? I mean, um, I feel like I, I feel optimistic one and I feel like 
we still have a lot to do. We still have a lot to do about history. It's not just about black. See, about me, I feel it's not just about black history one. In black history more, I still feel like the other people, aside from being black, that needs to be you know, respected and recognized in the history, right? Like indigenous people, I respect them a lot. And I feel like they actually need to be a part of Black History Month too. I don't know if that just a meeting, but I feel like a lot needs to be done in the system. Educational system, the political system, economic system, social system, a lot needs to be done about educating the youth, educating everyone, having to tell them about how the present um, the present government is not trying to do some things or is trying to do some things just to just to like support politics and you know back up um some things they feel like needs to be done for the people to feel okay for now later continue doing other things that are not meant to be done you know it's just about every other month and respecting and um involving other um oppressed voices Canada is known to be really multicultured, but have you, like, since you came here, have you, do you feel like Canada's culture is, like, um, embracing of, like, all the cultures and, you know, like, celebrating all the cultures, or do you feel like we've just kind of, like, I don't know, like, how do you feel about um, Canada's point of view on this? I mean, Canada's point of view on multiculturalism is, um, I mean, it's about Ontario for me. I feel it's about Ontario, right? Because um, other part of um, Canada feel um, as assimilation whereby they don't really believe in multiculturalism, but Ontario, uh, I feel like, fine, we understand the idea of multiculturalism is there, but I think they're not doing enough to um, sustain the idea, right? I feel a few, just a little thing, a few things are being done and I just feel I feel like more could be done, right? More could be done, more recognition could be done, more events could be done, um, more uh, like opportunities, um, chances. Like I get, I just feel these things. More of these things could be done to you know promote multiculturalism. Yeah, no, that that is so good, and I think like the change that we see that we hope for um, happen. Like I hope it happens, you know, in the community, but I also hope that it happens within like each and every one of us. Like inside, we experience like a change, and we're able to see like everyone as like, you know, like equal and valuable. And like, um, it's weird because um, so. Do you know the book How to Be an Anti Racist by like? Um, Ibram, I think I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, but there, um, basically, there was like this. His in his introduction scene, he talks about how like he himself um, held like racist views about like his own personhood, and I thought that was so interesting because I think like well, me being Asian, like there were a few times growing up when. I didn't even realize I was holding racist beliefs about like my own people and about like myself just thinking like, oh yeah, because I'm like, you know, Asian, like I can't do this or whatever it is. And so it's, it's weird because like, yeah, I think like so much change needs to happen in um, like systemically and like in our schools and in our institutions. And I hope also like within each and every one of ourselves and like really believing that like we can be everything who we want to be. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you just said, but I think I feel like sometimes if this is within, it's not just within yourself and it's within the family, the smallest unit for, for like for a start. I feel like 
Like, okay, let me just give you an example. So as a black person, right? That racist view you feel you have within yourself, or you just have to deal with within your mind. Sometimes I actually pour it out within my family and I make racist jokes with my brothers, but I mean about being black. And then I make them understand that this jokes are jokes for you to understand that this just could be made outside, but you need to understand how to react to these jokes, right? So when you're used to understanding and listening to these jokes by yourself or within your family, and someone else says it's outside, there's a way to react. I don't expect you to react violently, but there's some way to react, right? And I feel these things, uh, they could be used for like, uh, for a force for good, right? For you to understand and build up and, you know, train your siblings, your younger ones that are trying to like grow up to be like you or get better because these things could actually change your perspective of things. That's what I feel. How can people react if um, someone says a racist comment to them? Okay, one thing I tell my brothers, my, my siblings, basically, I tell them, first of all, let a person know you just did something wrong. Let them know. I mean, there are different ways to let someone know you just did something wrong. By keeping quiet alone, just staring at a person and keeping quiet, person knows he or she just messed up. And that's something about me. If it's me, I'll just keep quiet and watch you because I don't have time to start. I don't have the energy to start telling you, okay, you just did something wrong. What you just did is racist. Um, I just cycle the attention of people around to tell you that, okay, what you just did. No, I'll let you know right away. This is this is very wrong. This is very wrong. You don't do that to people. You don't make, don't make people feel this way, this and that. Although we keep trying, right? But it's not from me because the change can't easily come from me. It needs to come from a group of people. There's power. There's power in like people, right? Not just a person, right? That's the thing. I just let you know right away. For me, I feel like I react and tell you right away. I don't like this. You don't do that. That's how I deal with it. Are you working on anything right now that we can look forward to? Yeah, I mean, I'm done with my short film. Um, it's titled, uh, by the way. So I shot this short film when I went to Nigeria last year. Um, that's about September. Yeah. So it's coming out this end of the month, February 28th. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. Congrats on that. I'm thinking, have you ever experienced bad advice? And like, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? And like, what would you say to people if, you know, they've ever been given that advice? Someone has actually advised me to go for the money all the time as a poet. And I'm like, yo, I've tried this and this has never worked for me. I see people winning, getting money, but me having the mindset of, you know, trying to work for money, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me, like, especially with poetry. But and I would just advise you not to give your report out there and listening to me. Don't, don't, don't write poetry for money. Don't write poetry for, for fame. Write poetry for making your voice being heard and um, making other people's voice being heard. Write for your, other, for your people. Write for other people that know your people. Write for yourself. Write for the future too. That's very important as important. And a filmmaker, I've learned about... Um, um, uh, working for other people i am i'm very bad at doing that i don't think as a filmmaker i could work for someone else i could either um be independent or work with someone else but as a filmmaker i i don't i don't like working for someone else i like being 
independent as a director. I could actually even be an actor in my film. I could be the camera operator. I could be the, the um, writer. That's where I could be the editor. I don't mind. And I could do these things. And that's the thing I've been doing all the days of my life. And they've worked out for me. So I don't want someone else from nowhere who feels he or she could actually just come in and, you know, ruin things. No, it doesn't work that way. We have to talk about this thing, work together as a team, and then make things work. So you need to, like, you know, be versatile with your creativity. Don't let anyone bully you about what you can do or what you can't do. Um, do you have a favorite film that really inspires you? Inspires me? Oh, a lot of films. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot. Well, I'll just start with, the, um, what do you call it, a series, um, She Gotta Have It by Spike Lee. Oh, that man is so great. I'll check and, it out. Um, one other film, um, I don't know, it's like, um, I can't I can't remember the title, but it's about Spike Lee too. Spike Lee is actually a great man that has inspired me, my creativity. And um, one other film, I feel, it's not just a film, it's a series too, seven seconds. That's very important to watch. Like, it's about, it's a, it's about a lot going on in the society. So Seven Seconds is a series and I I feel you should watch that. Sounds good. And is there anything, la- any last things you'd like to say before I end the recording? Um, let me just um, say the same thing I said in the previous interview I had. Um, that's about poetry writing begins with a search for something unlost. Your voice, ever stuck somewhere in your vocal cord, your gut or your gullet anywhere in you, somewhat deep empowering impressions, easy or hard to let out. To end our interview, I asked Iomi if he would read us one of his poems. He agreed and will now share his recently published poem, Adlib. Bewailing my homeland following the afternoon winter winds cold, curious by. I now rest by the seep of the same smoke I puff from a tart cigarette butt. A flock of gnarly blatted forward with all symmetrical arms to dig out, collect and mourn the remains of their remains secreted in the corners of my mouth, the abyss of my larynx. The grief dished their bellies like the cars chewed when it in my mother's door as a gauge out. In common, we've got eyes in waste of suppressed tears, heroes past vaporized into emeralds and tam, sunk to a row tums, and summoned away chamless dark clouds produced. And now that I could tell the cause of the uneventful faces, I sing the flock patterns of birds flying by the overhead power lines. I mellow picking feces deposit of stray pets of falling birds with my ashy hands. My girl, just back from school, shadowy, curled up in clothes like a painstaking kitty, joins me with a sack and oversized glove and asks me to teach her how to bury things with wings and dreams. To name the falling after her homeland, looking up, and out for via drones, escape planes or curses while digging, composing anthems in flagging synecdoche. Thank you so, so much, Iomi, for sharing all your advice to young poets and creatives and for reading us that stunning poem. To connect with Iomi, you can follow him on Instagram, which will be linked in the description box. And also, don't forget to pick up a copy of Issue 16, which is our themed Black History Month issue, and it's on stands now across campus. It also features an interview that Iomi did with The Medium where he'll talk more about his journey towards becoming a poet. 
thanks again for tuning in and we hope to see you uh to talk or chat with you in the next two weeks